So this morning's message is being recorded as well so that our family over in Fordingbridge can listen too. So I'm going to start by introducing myself. My name is Aaron. I work in a secondary school. Um, I'm six foot two. Um, I have, I don't know why you're laughing, I have a beard that makes Dales look like a little bit of facial fluff. Um, and many people say that I have a striking resemblance to Jason Statham. I mean, I, I don't know where that comes from, to be honest. Uh, maybe it is my physique. I don't know. Uh, and I don't know why the church is laughing. I really don't understand. No, I'm only joking. I'm none of those things. <laughs> I'm five foot three. Um, and I have no hair. And I've got a... Uh, a, a basically, I have, I have beard envy of Dale, because mine just doesn't grow that way. But um, yeah, but my name is Aaron and it's a real privilege to be able to share God's word this morning. And I'm excited about this morning's message. We are going to be looking at the story of the Roman centurion. So if you have a Bible, why don't you flick to Luke chapter 7. The kind of backbone in this story really is the whole idea of authority and healing. And we're going to be looking at the authority that the Roman centurion recognizes Jesus has And then I'm going to take it a step further to help us to understand that in Jesus, we also walk in his delegated authority. So the two two main things that we're going to be looking at this morning. So let's start by reading the passage. So after he, Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to, uh, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So here's a story where Jesus recognizes and responds to the faith of somebody who was outside the Jewish population, and he marveled at it. And he goes on to say that he's not found faith like it amongst his own people, the nation of Israel. I mean, that, that's quite a, a massive thing for Jesus to say in the presence of other Jewish people at the time. What I find really interesting is that in this encounter between Jesus and the Roman centurion, they never actually meet face to face. They never end up coming into the same presence as one another. But crucial to the story is the faith faith that the centurion shows, which Jesus celebrates, that although Jesus was not physically near him, he had faith that Jesus was under an authority that meant he could command healing. Now, the centurion had probably heard a lot of the stories, as it says here, when he'd heard about Jesus. And we know that uh, when we look at the early Gospels, Jesus began to teach in synagogues, and he began to teach with authority. He demonstrated that authority by casting out demons, 
by healing people. And so word of him spread so quickly that the Bible said that he could no longer enter like crowded places, cities and towns, but he had to go to remote places and teach from those places because he just got mobbed when he went to the towns. And so word would have got to the centurion that Jesus was about and this is what Jesus did. And this centurion had a servant who was sick. The Bible tells us that the servant was highly valued that to this Roman centurion, he didn't want to lose the servant that he had in his possession because he was, when we look at the, uh, the Greek word, precious to him, which probably meant that this servant was really good at his job. He was highly valued because he probably served diligently, attention to detail. If the centurion asked him to do something, he did it and he did it well. And so he came to this position where the centurion found him valuable and didn't want to lose him. So when he grew sick and it looked like he was going to die, the centurion began to worry because actually he didn't want to lose this servant. And so when Jesus came to town, he sent word. It's interesting that uh, this encounter happened in a little town called Capernaum. If you don't know much about the geography, Capernaum was a little tiny fishing village on the northwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was within the region of Galilee. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a city. It wasn't a place of you know, any importance other than the fact that Jesus is here at this point in time. Um, and what's really interesting is there was no military presence in Galilee at the time this story happened. So it's really interesting that we have a centurion in the area. It's likely that this centurion was a member of Herod's royal guard. As a ruler uh, appointed by Rome, Herod would have had a responsibility to maintain an army. If ever such a circumstance arose that Rome needed additional troops, they'd send to their rulers and their governors and they'd say, send troops, send military aid. And so Herod had a responsibility to maintain an army, and so therefore he would have had centurions who would have been in command over uh, legions, usually about 80 men, um, and their responsibility was to train them, prepare them, make them ready for battle, um, as well as doing other various jobs uh, around, around the town, like policing and yeah, maintaining order in the barracks. The interesting thing about centurions is they were uh, highly experienced men of war, highly experienced men of battle. They were not you know, people who'd gone through a training course and were released into leadership over a group of men. They, these were people who were seasoned, hardened, hardened war veterans. They'd been on the front lines at some point. And they were known for their military prowess, their achievements, their accomplishments, their battle scars. They were grizzled people. Uh, they were also known for their brutality. So when it came to maintaining order and maintaining discipline within the ranks, they were known for using brutal physical punishment to achieve that. So these guys were regarded as, yeah, frightening people. Centurions weren't messed with. You did what a centurion told you to do if you were under their, under their uh, command. So here's this centurion who's probably fulfilling the role of maintaining an army for Herod. Jesus rocks up in Capernaum. He's got a servant who is sick and at the point of death. And he thinks, I've heard of this Jesus. I've heard of the stories. I don't want to lose this servant. These kind of servants who do well and do their job well are hard to come by. I don't want to lose this person. So I'm going to ask Jesus for help. The interesting thing about the servant is he was likely Jewish. 
because it wasn't uncommon for the Romans to take slaves or to take servants from the local population in Galilee or wherever they might be. So it's highly likely this person was also Jewish. Scripture doesn't actually say that. So I'm just going to put in brackets, that's an Aaronism. That's, that's me rationalizing the story, um, and trying to make sense of the story. And so he sends, he gets together, uh, the centurion gets together a group of Jewish elders. So he picks Jewish people to go to Jesus because Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And he picks people who are important and he sends them to Jesus to say to Jesus, please heal my servant. And it's interesting that when the elders get there, the first thing they say to Jesus is that this centurion is worthy for you to do this for him. That the Jewish people counted this Roman centurion who they had reputations as somebody worthy for Jesus to respond to his need. And they state because he loves our nation and he's built us a synagogue. So he gets some really vital clues about the type of person this centurion was, that actually he, was, he had empathy for the Jewish nation. He sympathized with them. He respected them. He built them a synagogue. And a synagogue, if you like, was kind of like the Jewish equivalent to a community center where they went to pray and have teaching and you know, Jewish social events and all those kind of elements happened. It became a bit of a hub for Jewish people. So he actually built one of these, you know, a synagogue for them. So the Jews respected this centurion, and the centurion respected Jews, which is unusual. Amen. Uh, and, <laughs> and so when Jesus heard this, he was willing to go with them, and he started to head towards the centurion's house. And when the centurion heard this, he, he kind of worried, and he sent a group of friends ahead of him to say, no, 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 Lord, don't come to my house because I'm not worthy. It's interesting, there's a contrast here that to the Jewish people, they based his worthiness on what he had done. Whereas the Roman recognized he wasn't worthy because of who he was. And therefore he said, Lord Jesus, don't, you can't come, don't come to my house. You, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Which makes me think that the elders probably overstepped their mark here, that they probably weren't you know, meant to drag Jesus back because the, uh, the, the, the centurion says, therefore I didn't presume you to come to my home. He wasn't expecting Jesus to come back to his home. Therefore, he was expecting the elders just to speak to Jesus and Jesus to respond. And it's really interesting because when he, when he hears this and he sends his friends to say, Lord, don't come to my home, he also gives the why. Why? Because the centurion understood that Jesus was under authority and he understood how authority worked because of the role that he was in. And so he says to Jesus, through the friends that he sent, just say the word and my servant will be healed. We have an account here in scripture of where Jesus is in a completely different physical location to a sick person and he speaks a word of healing and that individual is healed. Not even in the same location. The centurion didn't just see Jesus, but he had a glimpse into how the kingdom of God functioned and his understanding gave him faith that Jesus could speak the word of healing and the servant would be healed. And how he understood it was based upon his own understanding of his role. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
So I want to break this down a little bit to help us to understand it. My first point is this. When it comes to authority, uh, Jesus was in authority and under authority. In the same way that he recognized, the centurion recognized that he himself was in authority, but under authority. He understood that he had authority to command his troops. If he gave an order, they would respond. But he also understood that he didn't possess this authority with himself, as he states, I too am a man under authority. He was able to move in authority because it had been delegated to him by the Roman authorities. So that when he spoke, he didn't just speak on his own authority, but with the weight of Rome behind him. And the people listened because they recognized that. And he says to Jesus, therefore I understand that you too are a man under authority. He recognized that Jesus was in authority as he was, but under an authority at the same time. So that when Jesus spoke, or when Jesus did certain things, he did so with a weight of authority that came from a higher power. Now, he may not have understood that to be God the Father, but he recognized it, and he had faith in that. We call it delegated authority. Stop and think about that for a second. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, was under authority. Have you thought about that before? Have you rationalized that out in Scripture? Jesus was under authority got me thinking how does that work I like to work these things out I like to kind of pick apart the nuts and the bolts of the gospel so that I can understand them because if I can understand some of those simple principles then maybe that's going to have an impact on me and how I live my life and whether those principles transfer to me as well and so I started to kind of study this a little bit more Um, and I'd like to draw your attention to a passage in Philippians Philippians My wife is already grinning at me because I get that wrong every single time. I always say the wrong name. It's chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Paul is speaking about Jesus here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. The Gospel of John starts by saying that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and nothing that has been made was made without him. Jesus was God. He was there in the beginning. He was with God the Father, he was with God the Holy Spirit, he had an active role in the creation of this universe. And then a little on in chapter 1 of John, it says, and then the word became flesh. It took on, Jesus took on human limitations. And in in, in the passage here in Philippians, it says the same thing, that he emptied himself and subjected himself as a servant. What did he subject himself to was my first question. One, he subjected himself to his father. When he took on human flesh, he came and lived in the same way that we have to live. He took on our limitations when it came to how we function before God. And so therefore, he came under authority of the father. How many times in scripture do we hear Jesus say things like, I only, see what I, I only do what I see my father doing? He took his lead 
by what he saw God do and what God permitted him to do. And therefore, he moved and functioned as a man under the authority of God and in the authority of God. Does that make sense? Good. <laughs> so, when he came to, when, so when the Son of God, the, in, the pre-incarnate Christ, took on flesh and came and lived amongst us, he took on all the same limitations of being a human being emptied himself of all of his divine rights, if you like, and took on the limitation of flesh. A man under the authority of God and in the authority of God. He chose to place himself under the will and the command of the Father, God the Father. Now that meant that Jesus could only do what he was permitted to do in the authority that Jesus had given him. And so when this Roman centurion paralleled that to his own role, he realized that Jesus had a higher authority above him that he was operating under. And therefore he had faith that Jesus had authority to speak a word of healing and for healing to occur. And then the second point I want to draw on is this, that where, where somebody is under authority, it also provides that person power. If somebody is under authority, delegated authority, they also have power to do certain things. Uh, so in, in this respect, the centurion knew that if he commanded someone to go, they would go. He had power to command people. He had power to say, come, and they would come to him. Do this or do that. Because he understood that the authority that he had been given meant that he could charge people that way under Roman authority. As I mentioned earlier, I work in a secondary school. When I was given the job, I was provided an ID badge. Some people like a prop, so I brought one with me. Here it is. This is my works ID badge. It's nothing special in itself. It's got my letter on it, A, and a, a Lego Boba Fett, because I'm a child. Um, <laughs> it's got my face on it as well, and my name. And we might just kind of presume it's just a random badge. It just means I work in a school. But actually, it carries something that's more important than that. Firstly, it reveals my identity. It carries my identity. Secondly, it was given to me by the head teacher as a symbol that I represent him in the school that I work at, that I represent the culture that he wants to establish in the school its values. And thirdly, it symbolizes that I have delegated authority from him. This badge allows me to go into certain rooms that if you don't have that badge, you're not allowed to go into. Like the staff room, where I can nick a cake when no one's looking, or grab a coffee. It allows me to go into rooms where important documents are kept. It actually allows me access in and out of the school through a little swipe thing that other people don't have. If you were to approach my school, Tomorrow, you wouldn't get through unless you were given one of these badges. This badge represented the authority that I've been given by the head teacher to function as a member of staff in the school. And with that also comes an empowerment. So if I see students who are not behaving in a way that is in line with the culture that we set, I've got delegated authority to step in and do something about that, whether it's to educate that child or set a sanction, depending on what they've done. It also gives me power to teach. So I'm, I'm established as a, as a student support manager, which means I've been given an authority to teach in the areas of well-being. 
and safeguarding and all that kind of stuff. So this badge entitles me to do that. So Jesus, when he was on the earth, was walking around with a very similar badge given to him by his father. It gave him authority and power. It said that he belonged to the father. He was a son of the father, son of God, capital S, capital G. And with that came a power as well. When Jesus said, I've been sent to heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, uh, preach liberty to the captives, to loose the chains, that was the authority God had given to him. And because he had that authority, he could do that with power because he had the whole of heaven behind him. Are you with me? Good. Now I know and I understand that sometimes this school of teaching has been taken to the nth degree and I'm very aware of that where some people have taken this idea of authority and power given to us by Jesus and they've misused that or they've misrepresented that or they've used it for their own personal gain um, falling into the whole area of the prosperity gospel but I just wanted to clarify before I go any further that that's not what I'm preaching here. What I'm preaching here is authority that is given by the Father that only permits us to do what the Father permits us to do, that I can't suddenly, you know, Jesus couldn't go away and say, in the name of Jesus, I call $20,000 into my bank account, you know, because I know that's out there somewhere. That's not how this authority works or the power works. It was only given to Jesus to be able to do what he was permitted to do by the Father. So the centurion demonstrated faith in the power and authority Jesus had in the one who had sent him, and Jesus was blown away that this Roman centurion had worked this out. Somebody who was outside the nation of Israel had worked this out. So much so that Jesus went, your servant's healed. And by the time that they got back to the servant's house, Jesus not with them now, so the friends go back, they get back, and the centurion's like, my servant's healed. Because Jesus was a man in authority and under authority and also possessed power. So how does that relate to us? Because that was the second point I wanted to talk on. If, if we can understand how Jesus moved in authority and power, uh, and, and he, he moved as a man under the right relationship with God, he came to show us how we function as Christians, right? He came to show us how we as believers could follow him and do the same things that he did. We saw him send out the 12. We saw him send out the 72. We see in scripture how he sent out others post death and resurrection. So he calls us to do the same. And therefore, us understanding our authority and how that works empowers our faith to be able to step out in areas where God has permitted us to step out in. And so we're looking at a series on steps of faith. So I'm hoping that this is going to empower you and encourage you and motivate you as well. So whilst Jesus was on the earth, he was under authority. But after his death and resurrection, something changed. At the end of Matthew, chapter 28, we looked at it last week, he appeared to his disciples. He's, he's been crucified, he's been buried, he's been in the tomb three days, he's raised from the dead, he's appeared to multitudes of people, and here he is, just before going up into heaven, in front of his disciples and his followers, and he says this. Now this is the change. Watch for the change. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see how there's a slight transfer in the authority that Jesus has? 
Do you see that? He's gone from being in and under authority to being in authority as a resurrected son of God who's beaten death, he's conquered the grave, he's dealt with sin, he's broken the power of the enemy. In fact, the Bible says he's taken, he's disarmed him. He's made a spectacle of the enemy and he's made a mockery of death. And here he is saying, as a result, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the next really important bit is, go therefore. The therefore means that before the there, there was a for. And the for before the there is that I am in authority. Go. In other words, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the conqueror of death, the disarmer of the enemy, is saying that in my authority, I send you to go and preach the gospel and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and I will be with you all the time to the end of the age. In other words, Jesus has said, I now give you the same badge that I wore when I was on the planet in my human form so that you too can have authority and power to serve the Father. That's amazing. That the moment you said yes to the gospel, yes, you were saved. Yes, your sin was forgiven. Yes, the Spirit of God came to live on the inside of you. But it was for a bigger purpose than just us having our sins forgiven and feeling better for ourselves, about ourselves. It was to call us into the mission of the kingdom of God, to the mission of the Father, which is to go out and make disciples, to go out and set people free, to go out and in the name of Jesus, release the captives, bind the broken hearts, Heal the sick, raise the dead. This is exciting stuff. And, and I understand that there's, on one level, that almost sounds like massive and too big. And like, how do I get my head around that? And how does that work? And blah, blah. But yet, actually, in Scripture, it says really clearly that all authority has been given to me, therefore go. You carry delegated authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have authority and you are under authority in just the same way that Jesus was. You are in authority and you are under authority. In authority, under authority. And with that also comes empowerment. You have authority to do everything Jesus commands you to do and with that authority of his powers, his power, you don't possess authority on your own, though, and that's the key thing. Some people have misunderstood that, and they just think that I'm in authority. I am the badger's nadgers, and I can do what I want. And that is not how this authority works, because that authority comes with the responsibility of being under an authority. It doesn't just allow you to go around trigger-happy. It means you have to do it under the authority of God. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, he gave you an ID badge to hang around your neck and it tells the universe who you are and whose you are and what you're entitled to do as a child of God. But it also means that it's been delegated to you. So I want to kind of offer a couple more scriptures just to illustrate this a little bit more and uh, Ephesians is a great book to help understand this. Um, so Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 to 23, Paul writes this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his, God's power, towards us who believe? 
according to the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we see Jesus being given the position authority and power to sit at the right hand of the Father because he conquered death. He disarmed the enemy. And he's been placed above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named. He's the head of the church and the church is his body. So the body is connected to the head. Chapter 2 comes in really crucial for this. So we flip over the chapter to Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 7. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Now get this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has been raised and seated at the right hand of the Father above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Now what we've got to emphasize here is we're also talking about those spiritual rulings, rulers, powers, dominions, thrones, the enemy's kingdom. God has placed all things under his feet. It's a picture of victory. And he's given Jesus the head as the head over all the church, which is his body. Now, if the head is above all things, his authority and his power is also connected to the body. He's delegated it to us. So that we, as his body, would outwork his authority and power in the world. Paul continues by telling us that if we've been raised up together with Christ and we're seated in heavenly places and we are in Jesus, then we are also in that same authority. You don't have it just because you have a right to it. You have authority when you are in him. You can't have authority outside of him, which is why you can't go trigger happy with the authority and the power that God has given us for your own purposes. It is delegated By him, through him, in him, for him, not without him. So you can't use that authority in any way other than how Jesus has permitted you to use that authority. That's why sometimes when people pray outside of the authority, nothing happens because you've stepped outside the authority. You've done it from a position of disobedience or from a position of not checking, is this right with you, Jesus? As he said, I only saw, I only did what I saw my father doing. We're no different. It's not for our prosperity, but it's for the prosperity of his name, the extension of his kingdom. So I'd like to kind of summarize that the Roman centurion had faith in Jesus because he recognized Jesus was under the authority of God the Father. And in turn, Jesus has delegated that authority to us. Are you wearing your badge? When I walk into my workplace, I walk in there, and sometimes I have to remind myself I am God's gift to this workplace. And that sounds like arrogance, doesn't it? 
but it's not arrogance. It's because I walk in there recognizing who I am in him. I walk in there knowing that I have authority in the spirit in my workplace, not in my own right, but because he has delegated it to me to exercise that authority in my workplace, in my home, in the street, in a coffee shop. Are you wearing your badge? Are you wearing your badge? As I was planning this and preparing this, I was kind of thinking this is a really difficult kind of message to have a response to at the end other than to be in awe of who he is and what he's done for us. But actually, as we were talking earlier, we, we, we know that there's a number of people in our church who aren't here this morning who are not well. They're struggling, whether that's emotionally or physically. And I thought it would be a really good idea, having talked about this, because doesn't the Bible say that... Um, Signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the gospel. Wouldn't it be good to step out in faith in the authority that we've been given in God and pray for our church family here in Wimborne and in Fordingbridge for anybody who is unwell? Should we do that? I think that'd be a really good way to respond. And then we're going to go a step further for people here. If you have a physical need, once we pray for our extended family, if you have a physical need here, we'd love to pray with you guys too. And the authority that Jesus has given us because the Bible says that all can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. It says that, doesn't it? So let's step out in that. So, I don't know if you want to just come and tinkle on the ivories. Why don't we stand? So first we're going to pray for those members of our family who are not very well at the moment. And in doing that, what I want to do, what I would like us to do is I'd like us to pray in the authority that's been delegated to us by Jesus. Trusting, exercising faith that we have that. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, we lift up to you all the members of our church family here in Wimborne and over in Fordingbridge who are unwell at the moment. And Lord, in your name, we command healing upon their bodies. We command strength into their bodies. Where there are viruses and colds and sniffles and general unwellness, Lord, we command wholeness in those areas. For those things to leave their bodies right now, in Jesus' name. I pray that, Lord, as they rest today, as they sleep tonight, you would do a supernatural work and you would restore them. Amen. If you're here this morning as well and you have a physical need, I'd just like you to pop your hand up. Okay. People around, have a look if you haven't got your hand up. I would like you to go, just check with the person, they don't mind first as well, post-COVID, and lay a hand on them. One of the keys I've picked up in the area of healing is that I don't pray for healing because Jesus never prayed for healing. He commanded healing. So this is how I'd like you to pray. I would like you to, in the name of Jesus, command healing over the person you're praying for. Now, if they're willing to tell you what it is, you can directly pray for that thing. If there's anybody free, there's a hand up over here. It'd be great to have someone gather around these guys here.
Yeah, Lord Jesus, we command healing in your name, Lord. We release your healing power in this room right now, Lord, with every physical issue that is being prayed for right now. We command bodies to come into alignment in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. appropriate moment, what I'd like you to do is I'd just like you to check what's being prayed for to see if there's a difference and a, and a really good way of doing this is to kind of consider where the pain was beforehand doing something obviously be gentle with yourselves and seeing if there's been a change, if there's a change we thank God and we pray for completion of that work that he's begun prayed for and, and you you can feel that there's been healing there's been a change in your body it'd be great if you want to just wave your hand or come and share that testimony don't worry if not we'll keep praying
I'm going to do is I'm going to um, formally bring our service this morning to a close, but there are people around the room who are being prayed for, and uh, please don't rush from that. Stay in that place. If people are praying for you, there's no hurry. Um, but for others, we're going to close the, the service. There is coffee afterwards, so please don't rush off. Come and grab a coffee, have a drink. So Father God, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in people's lives this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, this would be a continuation as well of your kingdom's work. I pray for your kingdom to come in people's bodies, Lord God. We stand in our authority in this area, Father, and we just pray for healing. Thank you, Lord. So Father, I pray you bless our church as we go from here this morning. Bless the guys over in Fording Bridge. Pray you bless them with a good week, Lord. Good week ahead. Lord, I pray you bless them with uh, revelation this week of who you are and your love for them in a way that they've never known or seen before. As they read your word, I pray for new truths. Lord, I pray for deeper relationships deepening with you as the week progresses, Lord. We just ask that in the name of your son. Amen.